Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Good morning, everybody. All right. So last week we learned about kingdom marriage, and uh, God's been stirring up a lot over the course of the last week. I've been hearing things about life groups and about families, and I've been getting calls, and and uh, God's been definitely up to some stuff. Uh, I think He's reminding us though of of uh, why we come to church, right? We come to church. We hear a powerful message from from uh, Gary, one of our elders. And we go home, and instead of just saying in one ear and out the other and going about our business, we wrestle with it, we make phone calls, we show up to life groups, we hear from other people, we try to kill each other, and, and then I'm surprised that, you know, I shouldn't say surprised, but I'm happy to see that you guys all made it back this week. God wants to, uh, we come to church so that God can further reveal himself and his will to us, right? Sometimes we forget why we come. We love to worship and we love to see each other, but it's really about Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. So God, when we come, he wants to reveal more of himself and more of what his will is. And then uh, he calls us back to the cross. We got to keep coming back so that he can help us to, uh, to be who he's called us to be. Uh, we shared my testimony this morning because I think it bridges the gap between last week's message and today's message. Um, we're still going to be in Matthew chapter 19, so you guys can turn there. But we're going to be talking about kingdom money this morning. So thank you, Junior, for setting us up like that. <laughs> um, you know, chapter 19, when we looked at it last week with Gary, it begins with Jesus teaching on marriage and teaching on divorce. And it's, it's deep. And it's challenging, and it's convicting, and it's compelling, and it's exciting um, in all those different ways. And then right after that, uh, chapter 19 goes into this conversation, a brief conversation, and Jesus is teaching on children and on kids. And we can easily say, okay, that makes sense, right? We're, we're talking about marriage, we're talking about divorce, we're talking about uh, what it means and what God wants. And then in verses 13 and 15, he talks about kids real quick. Let me read it to you. Matthew 19, 13. Right after the story about marriage, he says, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. 
So we get it, right? We're, we talked about marriage and family and divorce and staying together and getting back together and healing and forgiveness. And then uh, the disciples, obviously, sometimes they don't get it. So people start bringing their kids like, Lord, we are still together or we need to be, our family needs to be healed. Will you pray for my kids? Will you heal them? Will you bless them? Many of us this week were uh, uh, talking about the effects that uh, families and parents have on our kids, whether good or bad, right? Um, so... He does that. He, the disciples say, get him out of here. The Lord doesn't have time for this. He says, stop. Let him come. Let him come. So he puts his hands on them and he prays for them and he blesses these kids. He says, this is what it's all about. This is what the kingdom's all about. But then in the same breath as he's praying for these kids, he begins to talk about kingdom money. And it seems out of place. You're like, Lord, we've been talking about marriage and divorce, and now we're talking about kids and blessing them, and all of a sudden you make this shift uh, into kingdom money, and it's almost as if it's, it's the wrong chapter or the wrong place. But uh, I think this morning what we'll begin to see is, is a connection here. What Jesus is doing is taking us through a progression. He's trying to increase our understanding of covenant and commitment. If you're taking notes, write those things down. Covenant and commitment. There is a connection, marriage, family, finances, covenant, commitment. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, many of us know this scripture, quote this scripture. Uh, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Raise your hand if you heard that scripture before. Amen. We know it, right? And like we lean on that. Ah, oh, Lord, I got I to trust in you all my ways. I can't lean on my own understanding. How many of you are ready to go just a little bit further with the Lord today? Anybody? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Let's go a little bit further. I'm going to read from verse 5 again. That favorite scripture of ours. Let's see what he's really talking about. Amen. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I think we sang new wine this morning. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. The Lord is making a significant comparison here in Proverbs. We love the first part, trust in the Lord in all your ways. He's going to take care of you and direct your path. But he's really talking about this distinction between what you're doing with your resources and what it is that God wants you to be doing with your resources. What true wisdom is versus focusing on, on finances and what you want and what you need. He's saying if you get wisdom, if you can understand what he wants to teach you, he's saying that's worth more than gold, it's worth more than rubies, it's more, worth more than silver. Don't stop short at Proverbs uh, 3, 5, and 6. Read the whole thing. 
I shared my testimony this morning because I never, ever, ever forget why I give. Never. Not for one day, not for one minute. I give my money, I give my time, I give my breath and my energy. I give my whole life because he gave me life for death. That's it. We get into this every week and we come, you hear testimonies, we have given, we see the basket go around, but just so you know, I don't just give because the Bible says so, I give because the Bible says so and God gave me life. I remember what it felt like in the parking lot of Staples Center. I remember what it felt like to always be dying on the inside. I remember what it felt like to be an addict. I remember what it felt like to have nothing. I remember what it felt like for every dream I had to be crushed. And there's no way I'll ever not give, ever. God did a work in me on day one, and it just compelled me to go all in, in every area. From day one, that was it. No holding back anything in any area. But this is what I've come to realize. God works in different people in different ways at different times. For a long time, I wished that everybody would just, day one, all in. (laughs) What, you gave your life to Jesus? All right, cool. All in, right? No. God works in different people in different ways in different times in different seasons. And we have to be okay with that. Somebody say amen. However, I'm fully convinced that God is doing the same work in all of us. It happens in different spurts. It happens in different times. He has a different plan for all of us, but it's the same work. He wants you to be all in all the time. There's not a halfway in or a kind of in or in in different seasons for different people. No, it's all in all the time. But how he gets us there is up to him. Philippians 3, 7. This is Paul. Paul says, What things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward toward those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, look, I count it all as loss. I don't care what I had and how I got it or how long it took for me to get it. It's all lost. He says, not only is it all lost, it's rubbish. It used to have great value, and now it's like trash. When I compare it to what I have in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, when I think about the fact that I'm going to be resurrected and spend eternity in heaven with God, how can I hold so tight to these things? Paul says, I'm all in. You have not come to a church that wants to teach you 10 ways to have a better life. You have come to a church that is going to preach Christ crucified. 
You have come to a church where we want to lead people to be able to proclaim that in everything, it's rubbish compared to Christ. That's where we are leading you. That's where the elders are leading you. That's what these life groups are leading us towards, is that it's not about this life. It's about the next one. It's not about what we have. It's about Jesus. It's not about feeling better. It's about knowing that we are better because of Christ. Pressing on, going forward, counting all things as loss, that we may gain Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we came into your house this morning to lift you up, to give you worship, to give you praise, Lord, to be reminded of who you are and what you've given to each and every one of us. We are confronted smack dab right in our face this morning with your word. For many of us, Lord, you say that your word is inspiring and encouraging, Lord, and it gives us feelings of joy. And at other times, Lord, it cuts to our very soul and it gives us conviction and pain, Lord. But here we are once again. There is no other book. There are no other words of life, Lord. This is the one that you've given us. These are your words, Lord. The same, the same statement that uh, Peter made. Lord, in John chapter 6, when people began to walk away from you because your teaching was just a little bit too hard for them, you asked the disciples, do you want to go too? And Peter said, where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of life. Lord, there's a lot of times where we don't get it, we don't understand, we don't feel it, Lord. But there's nowhere else for us to go. So here we are, Lord. Have your way. Let your will be done, Lord. Let your ongoing work in each and every life here in this place, just let it continue this morning, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 First Timothy chapter 6, verse, um, actually verse 6 through 10. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing... With these we shall be content, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I got a, I got a text message or a Facebook message um, on Friday, I think it was, and uh, it was a lady reaching out to me. She said, hope you remember me. This is who I am. Uh, my sister passed away this week, and you know her son. She gave a little bit of background, and she said, I'm hoping that that next Saturday, uh, March 9th, that maybe you can come and do the funeral services for us and officiate. So um, I called Mary, told her about it, and said, hey, pray about this, and so I can get back to her as, as quickly as possible. There was a time in, in my life and in my ministry where I would just say yes to everybody all the time because you're heartbroken for people, right? You want to be counseled? Yes. You want, you want to get married? Yes. You got a funeral? Yes. But then I realized I'm not God and I can't do everything. But I told Mary, I said, you know, when people reach out like this, we should make ourselves available whenever we can because what they're saying is when it comes to God, when it comes to being broken, when it comes to a need, you're the first person I thought of. And if God has placed me in their life for that particular reason, then we just got to move things around. We got to move things around and be able to go and show love and go and shine the light of Christ, right? Amen. So we talked about it. 
Got back to him, told him that we'd be there. And then she responded back to me, you know, thank you so much for all that you've done for my family because there's been several funerals, there's been several times of, of crisis in their lives where we've been able to, to just show up and just to be there to be supportive. The reason why all that is important is, you know, when we're confronted with things like death, you remember that you came into this world with nothing and you get to take nothing out with you. See, we read that scripture all the time, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's important, but no, I still need stuff. But this lady that I'm going to go do this funeral for on, on Saturday, she came in with nothing, and she went out with nothing. Yeah. The things that she spent her life trying to acquire mean nothing now. The things that maybe she withheld from doing because she needed certain things mean nothing. The things that she gave, right? Maybe that means something. Maybe somebody was blessed by it. But you begin to consider scriptures like this. He says, having food and clothing should make you content. See, when we look at money with our understanding, when we love it in a way that's contrary to the way the Lord tells us to treat money, it's just like when you love a person in a way that's contrary to the way that the Lord tells you to love them, right? What it ends up doing is hurting you rather than blessing you. I love the way that this scripture ends. He says, when you do this, some have strayed from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's the thing about, <laughs> about this issue that God's wrestling with us with, with our finances, is that we do it to ourselves. He says, you actually stray from the faith and pierce yourself through with many sorrows. Because you're looking at it the wrong way, you're using it the wrong way, you've fallen in love with it the wrong way, and you're piercing yourself. It's like stabbing yourself in the heart, and you're so sorrowful in so many other ways. Acts 4.31 gives us the flip side. It says, when they had prayed. Have we prayed today? Yes. Have we prayed today? Yes. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke the word of God with boldness. The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. This is when the shift, right? We like the shaking. We like the one heart, one mind. Everybody speaking with boldness. and then, But nothing you have is yours. Everyone's like, let me flip to that. I don't think it really says that. What is that, the Old Testament? <laughs> No, it's the New Testament. It's the birth of the church. Verse 32, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the, count of the country of Cyprus, having land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. God gives us this picture when the church is being birthed, of what it's supposed to look like. When you read through the scriptures, you clearly see the reasons why. 
God says they're preaching the gospel, they're praying, the spirit is coming, there's boldness, people are understanding the word, coming to faith. People aren't concerned with themselves anymore, they're concerned with the community. Everyone's bringing what they have so that nobody lacks and everybody has need. They lay it at the foot of the apostles, the apostles distribute it. We know in the book of Acts where it says that some people aren't getting distributed the way that it should be, even with bread. He says, I'm going to put faithful men over that so that the distribution still goes out and it goes out properly. And then you read through the scriptures and you, you begin to realize why God wants it to be this way. So I've gone through this kind of long and elaborate <clears throat> introduction this morning because I think this is such an important topic. I want us to have a few things in our hearts and in our minds as a foundation as we read through the rest of uh, Matthew chapter 19 this morning. I'm going to give you those, uh, those few things to think about. But before I do, um, I just feel compelled. It's not in my notes, but I want to share some things with you guys. One, one of the things that I've always loved about our church is um, we don't talk a lot about money here. Like, we do our tithing, we do our offering, but several individuals come up to me on a pretty consistent basis and say, hey, is there a need, Pastor? Can we give extra money towards feeding friends? Is there something we need in the church? Can we buy this? Can we buy that? Hey, you're going to put a TV in the foyer. Can we buy that? And I always tell them, like, just stop. You are a tither. Just tithe. Like, it, it hurts me because it's like, God, I know that this is what you want, but I want to, I tell them all the time. I say, listen, if you tithe, if you want to make an offering, make an offering. But what we need is not you to give more. We need everybody to give what they're supposed to. Like, there's no reason why you should have to do everything. We should all do everything together. And I'm just a, I'm a, I'm an idealist, I guess is the best way to put it. What the church world says and what every book that you read says is that this amount of people are going to do most of the giving. Everybody else is not going to give. So you really need to care about those who are giving and encourage them and let them give. No, I'd just rather have less. Because we need to see how broken we are. We got a letter this year from our, from our complex that we rent this building in and they said, we're going to double your rent. Did we tell you all that? I did now, but did we tell you all that? <laughs> no, because we only flipped out for a minute. I called the elders. I'm like, come on, guys, what's going to happen? And then we all just calmed down. We're like, God's just going to do what he always does. But we're not going to do an extra, like, movement, an extra building fund. No, just do what we've already been telling you to do. Give because God says give. Give because you've been saved. Give because you count everything is lost and you know that you need to give unto the Lord. So why this foundation? Things I want you to think about as we go through the rest of chapter 19. Number one, this is God's idea, not mine or the church of today. You know, Junior said it, and, and he could have been speaking for a lot of us. He said, I just thought that the church wanted money. That's why we didn't go. That's why we didn't give. I thought the same thing before I got saved. But if you've been here long enough, you should know that this isn't God's idea. This isn't the vision of Pastor Vaughn. This isn't the, the church of 2019 says that we should give financially. No, this is God's idea. Number two, God does not need your money, but you need to release it. He don't need it. He's not broke. He's not poor. He's not searching and seeking how he's going to pay the rent. He does not need it. But you need to release it. 
I love it when people realize that. I've, heard, I've had several people that, that we've counseled, Mary and I, and usually it's a lot, it's like after the counseling, like a long time, and they're like, hey, we just finally realized that like, you didn't need to meet with us. <laughs> like you didn't, you didn't tell us stuff for your benefit. You met with us for us. Amen. You were giving us advice for us. It wasn't a benefit to you. When you realize that about God, when he's asking you for your resources, that he is not benefiting from your resources, that he's not taking your money and investing it somewhere else so that he can, you know, build up a nest egg, <laughs> right? Like you keep your money in the bank and they give you this dividend for like 72 cents a year and they took that same money that you put in their bank and they made thousands or millions off of it. God's not like that. It's crazy. Number three, God cares about your needs. Amen. God cares about your needs. I'm not trying to convince you, like, God just wants, to, wants you to be humbled and submissive and broken and, and liberal with your giving, and he's not really concerned about how you feel and what you wear and what you get to eat. No, he cares about your needs. Don't forget that. Number four, God uses people to provide for his people, both spiritually and physically. It's his plan. If he wanted to, and he's done it in the past, he drops bread from heaven because his people are hungry. Like, do you remember the God that we're talking about? Somebody please say amen. amen. He says, my people are hungry. I'll drop bread from heaven. My people are thirsty. I'll have water come out of a rock because I'm God. I can do whatever I want to do. But in this day, in this season, God says, I want to use people to give bread to people. I want to use people to give water to people. I want to use people to proclaim my word to other people. I want to use people to lead my people in worship. I want to use people to teach my people how to pray. He doesn't have to do it that way, but good Lord, he has decided to do it that way. <laughs> Number five, you can do it. Like, giving is not impossible. <laughs> Tithing, offering, blessing is not impossible. You can do it. Make no mistakes about it. And the last one for foundation is that this is about more than money. I know some people, as soon as you heard the title and you've listened so far, you're like, I don't want to hear this about money today. <laughs> Too bad. We're all going to judge you if you get up and leave. Just kidding, but I'm serious. <laughs> this is about more than money. That's how it is with God, right? Like, we think we're talking about one thing, and then the longer you're with him, you're like, man, Lord, this is so much bigger than money. We think we're talking about, like, the worship team might say, please just raise your hands. Worship team might say, please just open your mouth. And you think we're talking about how you should stand and that you have a responsibility to sing until one day when you raise your hands and tears start coming down. Yeah. Amen. Until one day when you open your mouth and you feel the Spirit of God breathing into you and you're like, oh God, I didn't know it was about more than singing. I didn't know. Well, this morning it's about more than money. If you're at Matthew 19, say amen. 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 Verse 15. Actually, excuse me. Verse 16, now behold, 
This is just after he prayed for the kids, right? Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I've kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Isn't that another one of our favorite scriptures? And let's not forget what he's talking about. We always say, with God, all things are possible. He's talking about giving. <laughs> he ain't talking about whatever you want to do. <laughs> he said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, see, we've left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone, say everyone. everyone. Say me too. me too. Say you too. You too. Everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Ooh, Lord. We thought it was thick last week. So this man walks away from this encounter with Jesus. And listen to what Jesus says to his disciples, verse 23 through 25. I want to focus on that for a second. Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, it's hard for a rich man into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. And listen, when his disciples heard it, Verse 25, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? What? I thought we were talking about giving. I thought we were talking about money. I thought we were talking about he didn't want to give, and, and Jesus says, you know, the rich, it's hard for them to enter the kingdom, and it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Let's talk about money. But the disciples are very, very clear that Jesus is talking about salvation. Their question is, how can anybody be saved if what you're saying is true? It's about more than money, church. 
In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or money. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, what we're talking about in chapter 19, what I'm talking to this man about, what I'm talking to you about, is making a choice between money or God. You can only choose one, and you can only be loyal to one. The disciples knew what he was talking about. Jesus says, one of these will lead you to life and eternal salvation, and the other will not. So let's go back. I think it's clear what we're talking about if you remember why the man came to Jesus in the first place. Back in verse 16, when it starts, it says, Behold, one came to him, said, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? He said, and why do you call me good? No one's good, but one, and that's God. But if you want eternal life, keep the commandments. He said, and which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So good. They're talking about eternal life. He said, I came to you because I want to know how to inherit eternal life. It's not about money, it's about salvation. So before Jesus was revealed as Messiah, before people came to know that he uh, is the giver of eternal life, the people of God were already looking for eternal life, right? They already knew that eternal life existed. This is an Old Testament believer. He doesn't know this is the Messiah. All the way back when, when Joseph said, don't leave my bones here, right? They know that there's going to be eternal life. And when it comes to eternal life, the law says keep the commandments. And that's what Jesus says to this man. He says, keep the commandments, and then listen. He says, which ones, Jesus says, shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So watch this. Eternal life, commandments. Jesus says, don't murder, which is to say, value life above all. Even your own life. He says, don't murder. Don't murder people and don't murder yourself. How do I hear eternal life? Value life above everything else. He says, don't commit adultery, which is to highlight faithfulness. Look at what Jesus is doing. He's saying, be faithful. Do not commit adultery, not just between a husband and a wife, but between a man or a woman and God. Don't be unfaithful if you want to inherit eternal life. He says, don't steal. What is he saying? He's saying, you can't take eternal life. It has to be given to you. He says, don't lie. What is he saying? He's saying, lies will not get you where you want to go, but the truth will set you free. He says, honor your parents, your mother and father. He's saying, humble yourself. Look at this. He's saying, you want eternal life? Humble yourself under someone and realize that the life you have was given to you. You have a mother and father who existed before you, and without them, you don't have life at all. You want eternal life? That's a lesson you need to understand. That there is one who existed before you, and without him, you have no life. 
And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, be selfless and understand that you are not the only one that matters. Dang, Jesus. <laughs> He's giving them the commandments. He's saying, you want eternal life? He says, which commandments should I keep? And then Jesus gives them these commandments that talk about himself, that talk about God and what it means to really be saved. It's amazing what Jesus is doing here with this man. Tells him, keep the commandments. We can try, and I think we should try, to keep the commandments. But let's see what this man's response is to Jesus' direction. In verse 20, Jesus tells him these commandments that he needs to keep. Verse 20, he says, The young man said to Jesus, All these things I have kept from my youth. This is where it begins to go sideways. <laughs> I just said that we should try to keep the commandments. But what I've learned is that when we try, we quickly realize that we cannot keep the commandments. How many of you have left the church service and said, man, I need to do that. I'm going to do that. And then by Tuesday, you're like, I can't do that. <laughs> right? Like, it happens all the time. As soon as you make up your mind to be good, as soon as you make up your mind to change, as soon as you make up your mind to do something different, as soon as you make up your mind to speak nicer to your spouse, you realize quickly, I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so crazy when he comes and he says, Good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. Then he says, which commandments? Then Jesus says, these commandments. And then he says, I've been doing that since I was a kid. Liar! I can't do it for two or three days. There's no way you've been able to do it since you were a kid. He seems to think that he's doing it. Galatians 3.23 but before faith, say before faith. before faith. So think Old Testament, right? There's faith in the Old Testament, but, but look at this critical moment we're in. We're talking about when there was just the law and there wasn't the Messiah. And that's what Galatians is talking about. Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. This has got to be one of my favorite scriptures. <laughs> Listen to what's happening here. It's saying, look, before we had a Messiah, before we had this kind of faith, we had the law. And the law was supposed to be our tutor. The law was supposed to be our schoolmaster. The law was supposed to be the one that took us to Christ. The law wasn't supposed to be where we stop and where we live. The law was supposed to be something where we read it and we say, I can't do this. Help! And then the law was supposed to say, there's help and his name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. See, this poor guy. He didn't get it. Jesus is the good teacher. Jesus is the good shepherd. He tells us what to do when we fail to keep the law. But this guy didn't get it. Let's look back at something he said. 
how he responded to Jesus again. Verse 16, it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit or have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. How many have heard this before? God is good. And all the time? God is good. And all the time? This is where it comes from. All right? We need to add to that, though, is that he's the only good one. That's what Jesus is saying. We all say God is good all the time. See, if we could afford some stuff that works. I'm just kidding. Totally joking, guys. Everybody relax. All right, so look. Right at the beginning here. Behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good but one, and that is God. Right? Right from the beginning, Jesus is challenging this man's understanding of things. Think about that for a second. We get mad. When a pastor or a leader challenges you in the way that you think. But this man comes to Jesus and within a minute, Jesus is challenging the way he thinks. He came with a question and it was a good question. I want eternal life. What do I need to do? And Jesus says, hold on for a second. Why do you call me good? There's only one who's good. Do you think I'm good because I'm God? Or do you think I'm good because I seem to be an enlightened teacher? Jesus wants to know who this man is and what this man really thinks. You, you, you said good teacher. Are, are you saying that you understand that there's only one who's good and he's God and therefore I must be God? Or is what you're trying to say, good teacher, you seem so enlightened. You have such good things to say. You're such an awesome teacher. Jesus says, if you think I'm a good, enlightened teacher then you're probably the same type of person who thinks he's actually keeping the commandments since he was a youth. Before I even get into everything else I want to talk to you about, let's, let's, really, let's really dig into this. Why you call me good? Oh, you think I'm a good teacher. Oh, you think you keep the commandments. Oh, you think you're loving. Oh, you think you're kind. <laughs> oh, you think you're faithful. Oh, you think you're deserving. Jesus learns, learns a lot from one question, doesn't he? <laughs> so you and I, we try to keep the commandments and we know we fall short. But here's where the rubber meets the road for this man and where the rubber meets the road for us. It does not matter if you think you keep them, but you actually don't. And it does not matter if you know that you don't keep them. The problem with the commandments is that they are must-dos, not must-tries. Amen. Amen. 
The commandments are must-dos, not must-tries. It doesn't matter if I say, I think I keep the commandments. The truth is, I don't. It doesn't matter if I say, I've tried to keep the commandments, but I know I don't. The truth is, it doesn't matter if you know you don't. All that matters is that you have to. You must. You cannot fall short. They must be met. They must be kept in order to please God. Verse 20, Matthew 19. The young man said to Jesus, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect. When this man says, what do I still lack? We see that he knows something's missing. Somebody say amen. Amen. You ever have that feeling like you know something's missing? We probably don't talk about it a whole lot. But I think a lot of us have been where this man is, where you're thinking about your walk, you're thinking about God, you're thinking about church, you're thinking about your reading life, your prayer life, all this kind of stuff. And, and sometimes you're checking off boxes, but then when you're really honest with yourself, you're like, man, something's still missing. Something's still lacking. So he asks a question and, and he says, keep the commandments. I think I'm doing the keeping the commandments. But what am I still missing? What am I still lacking? There's still something wrong. And Jesus says, okay, if you want to be perfect. See, ultimately, it's this man's perspective on his keeping of the law from his youth that prevented him from understanding the goodness of God. The reality of Jesus truly being good and truly being God. His perspective, his jacked up way of seeing, his jacked up way of thinking about himself prevented him from being able to see Jesus for who Jesus really is. What is your perspective this morning that's preventing you from understanding something about Jesus? What do you see wrong? What are you thinking wrong? How do you see yourself that's wrong? And how is it preventing you from seeing Jesus for who he really is? Here's the thing. We see this story from a place where we already know who Jesus is. Somebody say amen. Amen. We understand it clearly, but this man didn't understand at the time. We know that Jesus becomes the fulfiller. He becomes the imparter. He imputes righteousness to us. We know that he becomes a propitiation for our sins. We know that he forgives us. We know that he takes men and women and he makes them perfect. That's what he does, right? He gives us new life, he gives us new birth, he gives us new eyes, he gives us a new heart, he gives us new everything, a new mind. But this man didn't understand these things. He thought he could do it all on his own. The difference is we are seeing from the other side of the cross, right? Like we're on the other side of the cross looking back and we're like, look what he did. <laughs> right? He, he went on to that cross and because he did, he imputes righteousness to me. And he forgives me of my sins. And he fulfills what was required of the law. When we realized we couldn't do it, man, what are we going to do? And then he says, hey, I'll take care of it for you. But we're on this side of the cross. Now let's put ourselves into the shoes of this man who's talking to Jesus, but he's on this side of the cross. So the questions he's asking is, I know that I haven't done enough to get into heaven, into eternal life. So I'm coming to you as a good teacher, and I'm asking you, what do I need to do to get there? 
What teaching have I not heard of? What commandment have I not heard of so I can just do it to make sure that I get to heaven? Man, it's a great thing to be on that side of the cross, but I think if we could understand what it's like to be on the other side of the cross, it'll help us this morning. So at this point of the story, the stage is set for this man to come to know everything that we know now. The stage is set for this man to be able to start this life with Christ. And listen how Jesus starts the sentence. He says, all right, now this guy sounds like he's ready. He says, if you want to be made perfect. Imagine tomorrow morning you wake up and you hit the alarm. Pow. <laughs> and then when you wake up again, <laughs> imagine Jesus is sitting on the side of your bed. And you open your eyes. And you look up, and you know it's him, right? Like, you look at him, and you're like, oh, my God. You're here. And he says to you, if you want to be made perfect. Can you imagine how you would be like, you'd pop out of bed. You'd snuggle up next to him. You'd be like, I can't wait to hear what he's about to say. <laughs> like, I know I'm jacked up, and he's going to tell me how to be perfect. I know I'm hurting, and he's going to tell me how to be perfect. I know I'm broken, and he's about to tell me how to be perfect. That's the moment that this man is in. He came looking for Jesus. He finds Jesus. He begins a conversation with Jesus. And now they're at this point of the conversation where Jesus says to him, if you want to be perfect, Let's see what route Jesus decides to take. <laughs> Let's see what Jesus wants to say to you at the side of your bed. Let's see what Jesus wants to say to this man when it's the moment of moments. This is what Jesus decides to say. If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Jesus could say anything about anything. He is theology. He could teach him anything about salvation and how to obtain it. And Jesus gives the shortest three-point message in the history of preaching. Jesus' three-point message is, if you want to be made perfect, give it all, think about others, and come follow me. That's it. Jesus' message to you, to me, to this man, to the world is, give it all, think about others, and come follow me. And you think he wants your money. So he starts with, go sell what you have. That means start over. Amen. Think about that for a second. He's saying start over. It don't matter who you are here this morning. We've all acquired some things. We've all been working towards some things. Some have more, some have less. But all of us, we've been working towards it. 
We've been trying to buy a house. We've been trying to rent an apartment. We've been trying to take care of this car that we have. We've been trying to get education. We've been trying to do all kinds of things. We're trying to build up our savings. Whatever you've been trying to do. Imagine Jesus meets you here in this place this morning and he says, hey, when you leave, I want you to go sell everything. Start over. That car you got, get rid of it. That mortgage you're paying, sell it. That education you've been pursuing, put it on hold. Dang, you want me to start over? I thought we were going to, like, manage what I have already. No, 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 go sell everything that you got. Completely start over. Philippians 3, 7, I think we touched on this this morning already. Paul says, what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. What I was already doing is done. What I have already acquired is no longer valuable to me. The nest egg I was building is not that important to me anymore. Indeed, I also count all things as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. This isn't crazy talk. This is what it means to see Jesus for who he really is. You see how Paul gets it? Paul gets it. He said, look, I met Jesus. You remember when Paul met Jesus? He was riding on a horse. He went blind, got knocked off the horse, was blind for three days. He heard the voice of God saying, you heard the, heard the verse of Jesus saying, why are you fighting against me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus. He said, I count everything as loss. That's it. Everything is done. I left a wealthy man. I left with position. I left with title. I left to persecute the church, and I will never, ever go back to that. Everything is lost. Everything I had before today is now lost. But we want to be coddled, right? We want to say that we've given our life to the Lord and then have somebody, like, really, really care about what it means for what we've lost. Thank God we have Raymond in this church to do that. Because I'm like, nah, bro, like, when you want to get sight again, come talk to me. Because Jesus will give you sight again. And then Raymond's like, man, let me walk with you while you're blind. Help you. And I want you to feel so much better about what you have to give. I'm like, he gave us everything. Come on. He gave us everything. Paul says, I got no problem starting over. And we're like, nah, man, I only got a little bit. I got to hold on to it. So he says, sell everything, start over. Then he says, give to the poor. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, the, the last thing I want you to do with your old life is use it as the beginning of your new life. And in the beginning of your new life, you are going to care about other people. Not when you become a super Christian five years from now. Day one, your old life is done and it's over. Take whatever you had in your old life and you were using it for evil. Now at day one, you're going to use it for good. You are going to bless poor people. Not later, now. It doesn't make you a super Christian when you finally figure out there's other people five years from now, ten years from now. It makes you a regular Christian when you consider other people, just like Jesus did. On day one. Philippians 1.21. This is Paul. Same guy. He says, to me, 
To live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. Paul says, look, man, I want to die. I'm so tired of this place. I'm so tired of what I've been. I'm so tired of, of just death and the devil and demons and everything that I have to experience. He says, I can't wait to go home and be with him. He says, to die is gain. I gain everything. When I, when I finally breathe my last breath and I wake up in the presence of God, yeah. I gain everything that I ever wanted. He says, but how can I go and leave you guys here to suffer? He says, I'm so hard pressed. Like, I want to go, but I look at you and how can I leave? How can I stop preaching? How can I stop traveling as a missionary? How can I stop proclaiming the word? How can I stop praying with people? He says, and when I think about this, I already know the answer. I ain't going nowhere. That's what Paul says. Because to be a Christian means to think about other people right from the beginning. I got to read it again. <laughs> Paul says, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. It's not the advanced level of Christianity. It's the definition of Christianity. The last thing Jesus says is, come follow me. He says, let's, let's start over with your life. Get, just get rid of everything. Let's give to the poor and consider other people. And then he says, and then come follow me. When he says, come follow me, look at this. He says, you're starting with nothing of your own, but at the same time, you start with all of me. You got nothing. Everything you had, you gave. Everything that was about you is now about others. And here you are before me, just like it started in the garden, naked, <laughs> with nothing of value of your own. He says, but here's the good news. You get all of me. I said, come follow me. Like, we're going to do this together. You got all of me. He says, I'll give you enough for yourself. I'll give you enough for others. And even more than that, I'm going to heal your mind. I'm going to heal your heart. I'm going to deal with your sin. And I'm going to prepare you for heaven. Dang. That's what you're doing, Jesus? 
This is how it said in uh, John chapter 3, verse 7, when Jesus is explaining this later to another man. He says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. That's, that's an even shorter version of the three-point message that he gave, right? Sell everything, give to the poor, follow me. This night he's talking to Nicodemus. He says, don't marvel that I told you got to be born again. That's what it means to be born again. You were a grown, old, dirty person, and now you're a brand new rebirth baby. You had a bunch of stuff, and now you're a baby that has nothing. You thought you could do it all on your own, and now you need me in order to protect you, provide for you, and grow you. Don't marvel that I said you got to be born again. That's what it is. That ain't crazy talk. It's just how it has to be. So after all that, let's see what this man does. <laughs> He's got Jesus face to face. He's face to face with the truth. He's face to face with this offer from Jesus of rebirth and everything that he could have ever wanted and more. Verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What? That can't be right. This cannot be what it says. This makes absolutely no sense. His dollars and unwillingness to surrender his finances prevented all this from happening in his life? You gotta be kidding me, right? Like we know, we know what this does. We heard testimonies this morning. We saw testimonies this morning like, we know who he is and what he does. And are you really trying to tell me that this man was face to face with him and because he didn't want to give his dollars, everything that God was going to do in his life didn't happen? So I'm going to close with just a couple of questions for you to think about. This is a very serious sequence of questions. You might want to take them down as notes, or you might want to just listen when we post it up again, but I'm going to close. Question number one, do you know more about Jesus than you are actually experiencing with him? Do you know more about Jesus than you are actually experiencing with him? See, we know what this man missed out on because we have the New Testament and we see from the other side of the cross. But knowing what he missed out on and experiencing it are two different things. We can all say, man, he missed it. Look what God was going to do. This is why God was telling him to surrender everything and start over and give to the poor and follow Jesus. All this stuff was going to happen. We know it. But are you experiencing it? Can you honestly say you have been born again? Can you honestly say that when Jesus came to you and said, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and follow me, that you said yes, and you continue to say yes? Knowing's not enough. We have to experience. Question number two. Do you think you are a better Christian than you actually are? See, this man 
told Jesus that he kept the commandments since his youth. If you search your heart this morning, do you spend more time trying to convince yourself and others and try to convince God that you're a good Christian? It probably looks a little different and sounds a little different, but at the end of the day, it's the same thing, right? Jesus, I kept those commandments since I was a youth. Jesus, I do what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. Jesus, I read my Bible. Jesus, I pray. Jesus, I go to church. Jesus, I give. You think you're a better Christian than you actually are? His perspective on his own faith is what messed up his ability to see Jesus for who Jesus is, and it stopped Jesus from being able to work in his life. If you have a messed up perspective, if I have a messed up perspective of who we really are, we can't really see Jesus, and it'll prevent him from the work that he wants to do in our lives. See, he should have been thinking Whatever's lacking in my life is what led me to Jesus. And now that I'm with Jesus, I need to be asking him what he's going to do, not what I need to do. It's the same thing for us. We come to Jesus not to say, what else can I do and how can I do it better because I'm a great Christian. We come to Jesus to say, something's lacking. What are you going to do about it? We are on that side of the cross. We know that he's the one that gave us righteousness. He's the one that forgave us our sins. So why is it that every week we come in and out of this place talking about what we're doing to be good Christians? When we should be coming in and out of this place every week saying, Lord, what are you going to do this week to make me more like you? Think you're a better Christian than you actually are? Last one, number three. And Isaiah, you can come. Last one, is your unwillingness to surrender your finances to God the very thing that's preventing everything else God wants to do in your life from actually unfolding? It wasn't this man's lack of faith in God. It wasn't this man's lack of faith in the word of God. It was simply his unwillingness to give his finances that prevented God from doing everything he wanted to do in his life. Who are you to say that your marital problems are not related to your unwillingness to give? Who are you to say that your parental problems are not related to your unwillingness to give? Who are you to say that your friendships and your work situation and every other area of our lives is not related to our unwillingness to give? Everything that was wrong in this man's life, that could have been fixed, was thwarted. It was stopped. It didn't happen because of an unwillingness to give. Again, I started with my testimony this morning, and I want to close with it and be honest with you guys. I have no idea why God compelled me to give in the beginning, but I'm so glad he did now. Like, I look back and (laughs) I have so many things to be thankful for, but I'm so glad that happened because it would be much harder 10 years, 15 years down the road. There's no reason we should have been pastoring after three years of being saved, but there was just this acceleration because of these things that God was doing. 
There's only one God in my life. I'm not battling between two. Why don't you guys stand with me this morning? We have this great opportunity to, <laughs> we're going to do that this side of the cross communion time. We're going to do some praise and worship for who he is and what he's done. But, uh, but first, we want to do that face to face. This man came to Jesus with a question. Jesus had some questions of his own, but he also had some answers. And that moment was the moment that, <clears throat> that moment was the cross. <laughs> it was the crossroads for sure, but I see it as the cross. That man got to the cross with his questions. He got to the cross and heard Jesus' answers and responses, and he decided to go back to this side of the cross. Those who are saved here in this place this morning, we came to the cross with questions. We met Jesus at the cross with his answers, and then we were able to get onto this side of the cross. If you're here in this place and you're at a crossroads, the crossroads is salvation. Jesus has a simple question for you this morning, face to face with him. He says, do you want to be made perfect? If you want to be made perfect, you have to accept what Jesus has done and then move on to that side of the cross, and he offers that. If you want the law, and you want to keep trying your own ways, and you want to keep trying to be better, and you want to keep trying to stop doing things that you've been doing, he says, look, there, there's the law, but you're just going to go back where you came from. If you want to be made perfect, I've made a way, and I'll, I'll take you to the other side. If you're here, no matter how long you've been in this church, first day, 20 years, whatever it is, if you want to be made perfect, you've never actually let Jesus do everything. Can we pray for you this morning? If that's you, raise your hand. Wave them both. Not saved, but I want to be. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. Now on to the rest of us. The altar call that I'm going to open up this morning is for the area of giving. If you're here and don't be, just don't be afraid, don't be shy, don't be ashamed. God's the only one that matters, but if you haven't been giving, but you want to, I'd like you to come to the altar and uh, let us pray for you. But before you do, let me tell you this that uh, we'll be with you and we'll help you. The commitment of the church is just like when the church was birthed in Acts chapter 4, it says they all brought, but nobody had need. Sometimes the fear is associated with the fact that, hey, I want to give. I know God wants me to give, but I'm afraid that I'll go without. I'll be the first to commit to you as your friend and as your pastor. You won't have to go without. But you got to make a commitment. You got to take a step. So if that's you, that's the first group. Would you guys come? Not giving, but this morning you want to commit to. The church, I believe, will be behind me and committing to you to help you. Young and old. Mm.
Next group, if you want to recommit to giving, maybe you have and you've stopped, or maybe you are right now, but you want to say, Lord, I want to commit that I'm never going to stop. I also want to pray with that group of folks. The altars are open to you if you'd come. For those who are coming because you haven't been giving but you want to, I want to give you some encouragement that you can do it. All you have to do before you leave today is grab one of your elders and say, help me. I get paid on the 1st and the 15th, and I need you to be the first call. <laughs> I need you to help me get it done for a few months until I learn how to do this on my own. But I'm not gonna let what happened to this man that came to Jesus happen to me. Are there any others this morning that would say, I'm not but I want to, or I am, but I need encouragement to make sure that I never stop? get to choose one we can't serve two we can't have two it's either you or mammon it's either you or money it's either fear of lack or trust in you I pray that we would hear you speak into the depths of our soul to sell everything to give to the poor and to follow you. I pray that we would follow in the footsteps of Paul, who said he counted all his loss for having you, who said to live is Christ, to die is gain. Yet how could he leave and go be with you knowing that there are others here who need you and need him? God, this is bondage that the enemy uses so well against us. He's held so many of us down with his foot on our throat, threatening us in this area. But I believe with all my heart this morning that you want to set us free. I ask that you would have your way. I ask that you would remind us that you have no needs. And there's no need that you can't meet. Please continue your work. As we receive communion this morning, remind us that we're doing it from the other side of the cross, remembering who you are and what you did for us. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. The altars are open. You can worship. You can receive communion this morning.
listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.